there's a lot of waiting, waiting for the crisis team to arrive, waiting for a doctor to come in or a nurse or waiting for the hospital social work team or whatever it is. So it's usually him being tired and me being worried and sad. Karen Broadhurst is waiting for treatment in a Boston Children's Hospital emergency room. Her nine-year-old son just had a mental health emergency and needs to be admitted to an inpatient psychiatric bed. A mental health emergency or a mental health crisis is where my son becomes dysregulated. He's unable to regulate his feelings and his body. He may have a fight or flight response and he either will try to maybe bolt and go down the street and away from the house and possibly, you know, towards traffic. Or fighting means throwing objects, hitting, kicking, breaking things. He has post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. He experienced abuse and neglect as a child and was in the foster care system before Karen adopted him. She's hoping he can get help in the emergency department, but she can't know for sure. Because a mental health emergency is the one emergency the ED isn't ready for. On the evening of January 24th, 2021, Karen's son was brought to the emergency department at Boston Children's Hospital, expecting treatment. Instead, he waited for five days in the ED and then 31 days in a medical unit without any treatment. That's 36 days. Unfortunately, stories like Karen's aren't singular events in the state, nation, or world. As we will learn in this series, absurdly long delays in care are commonplace for mental health patients who arrive in the ED. Rather than a safety net, the ED is a holding cell with no progression in treatment where patients wait for change. There's even a word for it. It's called boarding. And to understand why patients are boarding, let's start at the inception. I'm Sanya Ali. And I'm Avni Kulkarni. This is While We Wait, a podcast series where we tackle the mental health boarding crisis. Through the series, we will explore our fragmented mental health care system in the United States. Boarding is another word for waiting, a delay in care where patients are stuck often between the emergency room and the next step in treatment. These stories will paint a clear picture of why boarding is not, in fact, a surprising outcome for patients experiencing a mental health emergency. While we wait for solutions and while patients in crisis wait for help, let's take the time to unpack the reasons for why this is happening. In today's episode, we will introduce you to the boarding phenomenon through the story of Karen Broadhurst and her son in Boston, Massachusetts. Why did her nine-year-old child have to wait 36 days? Let's start with the basics. What is boarding? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard. What's your application? So it's not the type of boarding that probably comes to mind. In the medical world, boarding doesn't involve carrying luggage or fighting for the window seat. I first learned about medical boarding when I started working as a scribe in the emergency department of my local hospital in Virginia. I was trained with an arsenal of medical terminology, from myocardial infarction to pyelonephritis to epistaxis. That's doctor talk for a nosebleed. But boarding? 
I had never heard of it. Boarding is a phenomenon that occurs when, when a child or adolescent has been determined to require psychiatric hospitalization and they're kept in an emergency room or in an inpatient medical or surgical unit to await placement at a psychiatric facility because there are no beds available. And I just want to emphasize that boarding occurs in settings outside of the emergency room and not only in the emergency room. That's Dr. Patricia Ibiziako, the Associate Chief for Clinical Services in the Psychiatry Department at Boston Children's Hospital, which is the same place that Karen and her son boarded for 36 days. So basically, boarding is a sign that you're not in the right place for care that you need. And I feel like a lot of people don't get that. So some kids are waiting at home. They're boarding at home and they're waiting for a bed. Other kids are in the emergency room. They're in the emergency room for a few days, a week, two weeks, and then they get moved to a medical bed. And so there's boarding on a medical floor. And I feel like those people are not being counted. At this point, as a healthcare researcher, I jump in and tell you the stats on just how many mental health patients are boarding whether at home, in the ED, or on some miscellaneous medical floor. But Karen's right. The numbers don't exist. And the problem is getting worse. And it affects both children and adults. We saw more patients last July and August than we had ever seen, at least in the preceding five years. And that continued through the fall and through the winter, we got to a point where we had 50 to 60 patients boarding at our institution at, at any given point in time a day throughout our system, combined emergency room and on the inpatient medical and surgical units. I first learned about the boarding crisis as an ED clinical research assistant in Atlanta during the COVID-19 pandemic. On our patient flow trackers, those with mental health concerns were listed at the bottom of the board with the longest lengths of stay. COVID-19 has exacerbated the boarding crisis, but dig deeper into the research and we learn that mental health patients have been boarding at increasing rates for years. I first noticed a major increase in our volume of boarding patients around 2013. And that year, um, we discharged more patients boarding on our inpatient medical and surgical floors than our 16-bed inpatient psychiatric service, and that unit was almost always full. In looking at that period in time, there were several relevant events that occurred during that period. The Sandy Hook shooting in Newtown, Connecticut, occurred in December of 2012. This morning, the Sandy Hook Elementary School was full of kids concerned about Christmas. And then at 9.40 a.m., shots rang out. We were impacted regionally as schools became more vigilant and sent more kids to emergency rooms to be evaluated. And kids were also more anxious during that era of prominent school shootings. Four months after Sandy Hook, we had our own major event here in Boston with a Boston Marathon bombing occurring in April of 2013. We're interrupting your program because there have been two explosions today at the Boston Marathon. Two explosions near the finish line just a and short once while again, ago. once again, we saw kids presenting to the hospital with a lot of emotional and behavioral struggles. Unfortunately, though, after the events of 2013, 
the boarding volumes did not return to previous levels and we continue to experience high volumes of kids requiring psychiatric hospitalization and we were not the only ones. This was happening across the state and increasingly um, across the country. Behavioral health refers to both mental health and substance abuse and the behavioral health crisis isn't just rising among youth, it's an adult problem too. One study found that Massachusetts, compared with the average patient at emergency departments nationwide, adult psychiatric patients waited three times longer, had four times the rate of admissions or transfer, and were 20 times more likely to stay at least 24 hours in the emergency department. When we started investigating the boarding crisis, we learned that it's especially a problem for kids. In fact, stories of children waiting in emergency departments have been flooding news feeds. This week, Massachusetts has about 200 children boarding in local ERs waiting for help. Advocates say these kids are the most visible signs of a mental health system that is buckling at every level under pandemic stress. 911, this calls me before what's your emergency. Hi, uh, my 13-year-old is saying she's going to kill herself. There's no mental health treatment in the ER. No beds at the facilities able to provide mental health. No mental health treatment bed available. They waited there boarding. Demand is rising. I only know of two psychiatrists that are on Cape Cod. Day 13 in the ER. Not a single one has had an opening in two weeks. We still had to wait. Children are in psychiatric crisis. This is day 15. She's much worse. I just really want to get out of here, and I feel kind of helpless. Felt like I was being punished. We first heard of Karen Broadhurst's story on the radio. In fact, it was one of the earliest stories we heard about the crisis, and it seemed like a lot of these stories were coming out of Massachusetts. Karen's story was broadcast on WBUR, and it starts like this. On the night of January 24, 2021, a boy from Jamaica Plain was brought to the emergency department at Boston Children's Hospital. He was having a mental health crisis and had just had an outburst at home. At some point that evening, he became dysregulated and his actions were dangerous. He was throwing objects at me and trying to hurt me and I had to call 911. The idea is I'm calling 911 because I want an ambulance to take my son to the hospital. I'm not trying to call police, but if you call for an ambulance, the police will come. When we spoke to Karen Broadhurst, she said that for anybody with a mental health condition, working with police can be especially frightening. Her son is also Black, which adds to her anxiety around law enforcement. She told us how she's even arranged meetings for police officers to meet with her son when he's calm with the hope that they will remember his story if the officers are ever dispatched to the scene when he is in crisis. And once he's calm, then the EMTs can come in. They generally ask what I want to do. And I said, I don't want to take him to the hospital because I know what happens when you go to the hospital. And I know that it's hard and, you know, you don't get help right away. Nonetheless, the EMTs insisted that Karen take her son to the emergency room. When they got to Boston Children's Hospital, Doctors wanted to admit her son. He needed an inpatient bed on a behavioral health floor, but there were none available anywhere in the state. So Karen and her son boarded in the emergency department for five days. Unfortunately, this experience is all too common for her family. In fact, in our interview with Karen, she called boarding, quote, a regular thing over the last couple of years. However, These regular things revealed common threads through their ED experiences. 
being with your child in a very small windowless room, sleeping with mattresses on the floor and nothing to do, it's, it's miserable. It's like worse than, you know, if you've ever been in like an emergency where you had like a, a snowstorm or a hurricane or whatever, you know, where you're sitting around with nothing to do. I mean, it's just, it's awful. Eventually, Karen and her son are moved out of the emergency department and to a medical bed. Boston Children's Hospital has a long-standing practice of moving patients up to medical floors after a period of time boarding in the ED. These rooms come with more privacy and less of the hassles of the ED. Hassles like being escorted every time you want to go to the bathroom, or in her son's case, take a shower, because he's been stuck in that room for five days. But unfortunately, this medical room is just an alternative holding cell for Karen and her son. It is definitely an improvement from her chaotic, confined, claustrophobic emergency room. But in terms of care, it is much the same. Karen's son received little to no psychiatric evaluations during his 29 days in this room. So between the emergency room and the medical bed, that's a total of 36 days waiting for treatment. It's a cycle that Karen and her son have faced over and over again with each ED visit, and it leaves Karen feeling more and more helpless each time. I am feeling like terrible disappointment because here we are yet again back in the emergency room. I always hope that someday we won't have to go through that anymore. And I I have a feeling of, you know, oh God, here we are again. Is this ever going to end? Are we ever going to be able to not have to come to the emergency room? It's a really sad feeling. Okay. Clearly, patients are waiting too long for care, but now the question is why? The immediate answer is a lack of inpatient psychiatric beds, but really there are a number of gaps in the mental health care system that all boils down to lack of access. There are generally three levels of mental health care in any given state that can be broadly divided into low-level, mid-level, and high-level, depending on the intensity and the involvement necessary for treatment. So the lowest level starts with basic outpatient services like going to see a therapist at a mental health clinic, or maybe even at your primary care doctor's office if you're lucky. The highest level includes inpatient services, like being admitted to a hospital for 24-hour psychiatric treatment in a psych bed. Mid-level includes partial or day programs and residential programs that fall somewhere on that spectrum between outpatient services out in the community and inpatient level of care in the hospital. What I find so interesting is that I consider Boston, the city where I live, to be this vibrant center of healthcare and academic research. You have leading healthcare institutions like Massachusetts General Hospital, Brigham and Women's Hospital, and Boston Medical Center, all within this four-mile radius of a city. But when I started to work on this podcast, and especially after hearing from Karen and Dr. Beziaco, they painted a very different picture for me especially in terms of access. So we'll hear from Dr. Beziaco about what she has to say about this. So in the state of Massachusetts, while we have all of those levels of care, we lack specialized programs for certain groups of patients who are more complex and more vulnerable. For example, there is no partial hospital program or day treatment program for patients with comorbid medical and psychiatric conditions, what we call a med psych PHP in the entire state of Massachusetts. 
our inpatient unit is really the only unit in the state of Massachusetts that cares for these patients with comorbid medical and psychiatric condition. There is also no partial program for patients with neurodevelopmental disorders such as autism and intellectual disability in the entire state of Massachusetts. One of the reasons we chose to highlight Massachusetts is because so many of these stories were first being reported out of the state. In June 2020, according to the Massachusetts Department of Health, ED boarding for behavioral health increased by 500% compared to the previous year. So we reached out to the state senator, Cindy Friedman, to learn about why and what policymakers are doing about it. It's hard to fix the mental health issues without looking at the broader healthcare issues because they're so connected, you know. And and part of the problem with mental health and substance use disorder treatment is that it, it gets carved out. It's kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, mental health. Yeah, we'll get somebody to do that, right? But it's never really been an integrated part of healthcare until very, very recently. Friedman first recognized this problem about six years ago and has worked with the state to address one of the root causes a decimated mental health care workforce. Not only is the mental health field one of the lowest reimbursed specialties, burnout is also extremely high. And as Friedman put it, you can have all the beds in the world, but you need people to staff them. People want to do this work. They just can't afford it. I mean, if you're a, a, a psychologist or a social worker, you come out with $90,000 worth of, of loans and you can't take a job that pays you thirty. dollars $2,000. You just can't. To address the boarding crisis, Massachusetts has implemented a number of policies, including parity laws, loan forgiveness for behavioral health care workers, an expedited psychiatric inpatient admissions policy, and a roadmap of key mental health policy goals through 2023. The state is finally investing in the mental health care system. We have to be very um, intentional in solving this problem, and it can't just be about money. I do believe that this will, over time, cost our health system less money, and I think it will also cost our safety net systems less money, but it's not going to be that for a while. We're not going to see that for a while because we have so much investment to make. Fast-breaking developments in the coronavirus emergency in the U.S. and around the world. The number of cases soaring just today, more than 24,000 now nationwide. It was really the COVID-19 pandemic that brought the boarding crisis to a head in 2020. In fact, all of these initiatives that Senator Friedman mentioned were launched during the pandemic. But remember, mental health patients have been boarding for years, and clinicians recognized it as a fundamental issue. But COVID finally made people do something about it. The pandemic has disrupted or even halted critical mental health services in 93% of countries across the world. What's interesting is that in the U.S., overall national ED visit volumes declined during the peak pandemic months. People weren't coming to the ED, avoiding the hospital because they were scared of catching COVID in healthcare settings, following stay-at-home orders, or even because of increased childcare responsibilities from the school closures. But then, a new story emerges. In a recent CDC study, researchers found that in April of 2020, the proportion of children's mental health-related ED visits among all pediatric ED visits increased and remained elevated. So basically what you're saying is that while not many people were coming to the ED during the pandemic, the ones who did shared a chief complaint, mental health. 
Exactly. And at the same time that our healthcare system was swelling with demand for mental health services and COVID resources, the number of mental health beds and resources were dwindling. Mental health facilities were closing due to COVID concerns or even repurposed their care for COVID-19 patients. So for example, in my home state of Virginia, Governor Ralph Northam signed a temporary executive order stopping psychiatric hospital admissions to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. And in the next year, five out of the eight mental health institutions in the state stopped accepting any new patients. Even inpatient psychiatric units were closing due to financial losses. Psychiatric care is typically not profitable for hospitals and is generally reimbursed at lower rates than other specialties. So, during a period when hospitals were struggling to keep afloat, as lucrative elective surgeries were being canceled, they needed to cut their losses. We see this with two major hospital systems, Mercy Iowa City and Mercy Health in Illinois, who have both announced plans to close their mental health units. And even with the existing mental health units, hospitals have had to implement infection prevention control and physically space apart patients. This reduces the number of available beds even more. This has put emergency departments in a particularly tricky spot. Our healthcare system safety net is now balancing an increased demand for mental health services with financial strain and COVID. So as a result, patients are sitting in the ED for longer periods of time until they can be placed in a more appropriate unit. And even when a bed does become available, it is often a significant distance away from the patient's home. This gets especially tough for kids and their families. And honestly, we should have seen this coming. Because like Dr. Baziako said, she's been seeing increasing rates of boarding since 2013. And the National Alliance of Mental Illness reports that 60% of all adults and almost 50% of all youth ages 8 to 15 with a mental illness received no mental health services in the previous year. And that was our baseline pre-pandemic. This is a key theme about our healthcare services. While the prevalence of mental health in America is astounding, access and utilization is poor, meaning that people with mental health issues are not receiving necessary care. This often leads to situations of crisis rather than longitudinally managed psychiatric care. And so they end up in the emergency department. And it's interesting because it is largely known that our mental health system has gaps in quality, delivery, and access. But within this system, boarding seems to be a direct consequence of its shortcomings. And it's not really discussed often as a chronic pain point. That is, until now. It's going to take a while to solve the mental health boarding crisis, but while we wait, there is something we can do. We can talk about it. And that's exactly why we started this podcast series. Sonia and I kept seeing the same patients in the ED, day after day. And it wasn't until after we started talking to each other about it that we realized that this was a shared experience. Avni and I are friends from college and we're early career professionals entering the healthcare workforce. We both started our careers in the emergency department in two different cities, exactly 614 miles apart. We saw patients, adults and children, board for mental health concerns every single night. I remember one time walking in to start my shift and seeing three patients on the board who had been waiting more than two days in the ED for care. There were some shifts where I'd clock in the next morning and the same patient from the day before was still sitting in room nine waiting for a psych bed. And it seems like these patients faded into the background 
as the constant chaos of the ED consumes staff who were just trying to do their jobs the best they can with the resources available to them. But that's the thing about boarding that Sunny and I found so curious. Boarding is a crisis within the mental health crisis, and we forget to talk about it. We talk about self-care, taking mental health days, and stigma, but have you heard of boarding? I mean, I hadn't even heard of it, and I work in a hospital. Reading articles about Karen and her story actually made me realize that this was happening in other places too. Boarding is a bottleneck in the healthcare system that we have to address if we want to actually treat patients, if we want to actually create accessible, timely, and quality patient experiences. When we started investigating the reasons behind boarding, I didn't realize that our research would take us all the way back to the 1960s and even help explain the current day reckoning of the criminal justice system. It's a crisis with deep roots and widespread impact. And we'll get into that layer by layer in the next episodes as we unpack the mental health boarding crisis. And solving boarding will require stakeholders from all fields to get on board. And we're excited to share our conversations with you from a diverse range of voices in the next episodes. While we wait for solutions and while patients in crisis wait for help, let's take the time to unpack the reasons for why this is happening. Stay on board. This episode was created by Sonia, Lee, and me, with theme music by Tommy Scanlon. A special thanks to Jeff Byers, Sarah Kolk, and Patty Sweet for their guidance throughout the series. If you would like to learn more about any of the topics that we covered in this episode, please check out our show notes for links to more resources and ways to get involved.